Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. finally made it to the last week of Advent, therefore the last week of the homily series to the mountain, this homily series on the the mass. Our goal has been to understand more why we do what we do and why we say what we say in the mass and going through, through it and explaining it. We'll finish today these final blessings, final prayers, uh, but we're going to talk about why we wear what we wear and use what we use. Specifically, the vestments and the vessels. These are the vestments. The vessels are the chalice, the paten, and, and such. So we'll start with the chasuble. This is called a chasuble. I didn't know when I was little what it was called. So I just said, the poncho. That's what I said. I, so it looks, I mean, understandable. It does look kind of like a poncho. It's, uh, it's the outer garment of the priest when he says mass. People ask, why? Why are you wearing some thing that looks different. Why not? I see other pastors, other preachers, they wear their Sunday best, maybe more contemporary clothes, things you'd see in everyday life. And we often signify what group we're with, even what job we have with what we wear. This is known as a uniform. In a way, it mutes our individuality. It, It allows us to become part of a unit or a team part of a whole. It gives us clarity in our mission. When you put on a school uniform, it should signify to you and to others that your mission is to learn. You almost get rid of some individuality because you're joining a group of people that are to learn. Or when you put on a police uniform, it should signify to you and others around you that your mission is to protect and serve. It's about you, but it's also about other people knowing who you are, the bad guys and the good guys. They should know what you're about. We often use uniforms to signify a special event in our lives, special moments in our lives, a wedding dress. You see a wedding dress, it's pretty clear what's going to happen. Somebody is getting married. 
or even a graduation gown and cap, those weird outfits. What is with the hat? It's a flat thing with a little tassel. I'll tell you the, the history of that at a different time. Just ask me outside of mass. There's actually a cool history of that. But when you see someone wearing the flat hat and the gown, they might look a little interesting, but you know exactly what's happening. You know who they are, what they've done, what they've accomplished, and what their mission is. They're going out into the world. The priestly vestments are meant to signify that we're entering the worship of God. We're entering heaven. Your your priest is now participating in the one uh, priesthood of Jesus Christ. You're part of the universal history of Christian worship. These vestments, these ancient vestments that have developed over time, make sure that I know that I'm part of a whole. It's not just about what I think or what I creatively came up with. No, it's I'm part of something bigger than me. There was a Reveille article. It's a newspaper at LSU. I read many years ago, about a decade ago, and she was trying to use this anecdote she used in the article as a negative. I think it's a positive. She had just recently gone to Washington, D.C. and Rome. She talked about how in Washington, D.C., she was walking down one of these halls, maybe in the Capitol or, or something, and she saw all the pictures, portraits of the, of the presidents throughout time and how their outfits had changed. They started with, you know, the white wigs and the, 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 the outfits of the late 1700s and then the 1800s, and they developed and changed, and their outfits changed along with the times. And then she said, and then I went to Rome, and I saw a picture of the popes throughout history. And this one, white cassock, white cassock, white cassock, white cassock. It never changed. And I said, yeah, that's the point. There's something to developing with culture, but there's another aspect of it that many times people, ourselves, our leaders, even our, our, our countries and our governments, they morph and they change along with the whims of the people They conform themselves to the desires of the people around them. And there's an aspect of the faith in which is like Jesus Christ himself. It's the same yesterday, today and forever. See, this vestment, every time I put it on, it makes sure it tells me that it's not about my ideas. It's not about my creativity. It's not about whether you like me, because if it was about whether you like me, I'd preach differently. A lot of times priests do that or pastors, preachers, they say what people want to hear. Well, look, I'm part of a whole. I'm part of a history. There's people who've gone before me and the saints have prayed this mass. So this these vestments signify that when we enter the mass, we're entering to a bigger community that goes even further back into history. You yourself uh, have the opportunity to participate in the sanctification of our worship by what you wear. Now, it wasn't long ago where there was an emphasis on the Sunday best, right? Setting that day aside and what we wear as signifying that this is the most important thing we do this week. Now, I'll start with this or I want to say this at this point. I don't care really what you wear. If you're coming to mass, come to mass. I mean, within reason, right? But 
If someone walks in, high schooler walks in, someone off the street walks in, I really don't care as long as they're coming to Mass. But I'm offering this as an opportunity to you as a spiritual practice to set aside even what you wear to signify to yourself and to others around you that what you're doing at Mass is very important. I recently went to Austin, Texas to the cathedral It was packed. It was 7.30 a.m. mass. Most of it was in Latin. People were dressed in like their bow ties and their suits and the women had veils on and they were and you would think it was like a lot of older people, right? It's like the people who remembered the Latin mass and they were trying to go back to that day. No, I I surmise that the average age was about 30. 30-year-olds, young people filled families, entire rows, boom, 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 like, like they just sat in order. And they put on their Sunday best, and they showed up at 7.30 a.m., and I asked myself the question, why? Because they want something different. The world offers them one thing, and they say, you know what? The world has failed. Our society has failed. Our culture has failed. I want something different. I want something more profound. I want to participate in something more ancient, more grounded, more rooted. So they actually expressed that even with what they wore. So this is important to us. Moving on with the mass, the actions. We've been explaining some of the actions. Have you ever noticed that after communion, while everyone is kneeling, you're kneeling, giving thanksgiving after receiving Jesus in the Eucharist. The priest meticulously does something. It's called purifying the vessels. Okay, the vessels are the chalice, the patent, all the stuff we use at the altar. And while the vessels are taken care of and clean by the sacristans after mass, they're first purified at the altar by the clergy, by, by a deacon or a priest. Water is poured over the fingers of the priest into the vessels. Why? See, these are things that you should ask yourself. When you see it happening at Mass, ask after Mass. Why'd you do that? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's because it's a radical practice for a radical belief. That we believe that even the smartest, smallest particle of the Eucharist is Jesus Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity. And so I pour water even over my fingers that have touched the Eucharist. And, ev- and water touches every part of every vessel. And that water is consumed. Because we have a radical belief in Jesus's presence in the Eucharist is a prayer. I pray. I pray it for all of us. I say it to myself, but I'll say it to you right now. What is past our lips is food. O Lord, may we possess in purity of heart that what has been given to us in time may be our healing for eternity. It's the prayer that the priest prays at the purification of the vessels. I want to focus on a particular vessel, the chalice. The chalice is what holds the wine before the consecration. And then it becomes Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul and divinity. The chalice. Notice I didn't say the cup. Cup holds a lot of things. You can drink a lot of things out of cups. You can drink milk. Coca-Cola. Scotch. You can drink a lot of things out of cups. But that's a little too mundane because the chalice is set apart. So we actually have a special word for it. Chalice, because that's what sanctified means. It means set apart for one use only. We're not drinking anything else out of that chalice. It only holds God. In fact, it's called the Theotokos. We can call it the Theotokos. What that means in Greek, it means the God bearer. 
You know who else is called Theotokos? Mary. A couple weeks ago, I gave you a name for Mary. Karakotomene, full of grace. That's her title, her name. Karakotomene, full of grace. Well, she's also Theotokos. She's God-bearer. We translated it in a mother of God. So if ever you've heard, Mary, mother of God, the Greek word is actually God-bearer because she is the chalice of heaven. She holds within herself divinity. She herself is not divine. She's just a chalice, but she bears God to us. Joseph, son of David, we hear in the gospel today. Do not be afraid to take Mary into your home. I wonder who's afraid. It's like, this is the God bearer. This is the chalice. I'm not worthy. Who am I? She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Remember, Jesus means God saves. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Mary is the chalice of heaven. Uh, That's why we treat our chalice at mass with a lot of respect. It's veiled. Right, the, the, the patent, the corporals over it, the purificators draped over it. It's set apart and lifted into the air at the elevation, not to be worshipped, but to hold him who we worship. In the same way, Mary is not worshipped, but she is respected, honored and lifted up in our songs and prayers and our hearts because she holds him whom we worship. She's the God bear, the Theotokos. You know, you, each of you will be a Theotokos. You'll be a God-bearer. Each of you will be a chalice, a tabernacle. That's why it's important how you act when you're in the parking lot, when you're waiting for a cashier at the grocery store. It's important how you are at work with that frustrating co-worker, even at home with that very frustrating husband. Because you're a God-bearer. You hold when you receive the Eucharist and then you leave here, you're bringing God to others like Mary at the visitation. What she do? She had Jesus in her womb. She went to Elizabeth and John the Baptist leapt in Elizabeth's womb because the God bearer, the Theotokos had arrived. The chalice, you are a chalice. We hear that at the end of the mass. We have a concluding prayer. Final blessing, and then you get your orders. It's the last words of the Mass. In Latin, it's ite misa est. In fact, it's where we get the word Mass from, is misa. It doesn't mean Mass. It actually means you're dismissed. Go, ite, go. Go out into the world. Some ways of saying it is go in peace. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. You hear all these. The most uh, uh, strict translation is go forth. The mass is ended. When I was little, I used to think it was kind of weird, you know. Go forth. The mass is ended. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Woo! Preach it, Father. The mass is ended. Thanks be to God. That's not why we say thanks be to God. It's not because it's like we're tired of mass. It means... That you're dismissed. It's the same root as mission. 
We're saying you've received the Lord. You are a Theotokos. You are a tabernacle. You are a chalice. Now go and bring people the presence of God. And then bring them back to Christmas Mass. You have a mission this week. It's to fill these pews and these aisles and that choir loft and the parking lot and the hall. Like, I don't want anyone. I want it to be so hot in here. Like everyone's sweating, smelly like the ark. You know, all the animals in the ark, like loud noises, babies crying. Your job is to be a God bearer and to bring people back here because this is where they're saved, where they receive Jesus. The mass is ended. Go. Please stand for our profession of faith.